You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. Good morning. We are continuing uh, in the Christmas mode and looking at the message of the angels. Luke chapter 2 is uh, probably the most familiar rendering of the Christmas story uh, where the Bible talks about Mary and Joseph having to go to the city of Bethlehem. And they go there and Jesus is born. There's no room for them in the inn. And so they lay Jesus, uh, this newborn baby, in a manger. And then in verse number 8 of Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, Now there were in the same country shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. And last week we talked about joy. We talked about the the good tidings of great joy. This morning we want to focus on uh, the first part of, of this band of angels. As they begin to cry out and they say, glory to God in the highest On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest. We just sang uh, uh, several songs that had to do with glory, that talked about glory. And that's an interesting word. I was obviously studying for this message and looking up some different things. And glory, you know, people talk about winning glory, maybe uh, on a battlefield or a, a sports field or in some kind of endeavor, they, they would get glory by some great victory. We sing songs about glory to God and it's used as a form of worship. That's really the context primarily here, right? Is the angels say, glory to God in the highest. But I also want us to look at this morning this idea of God's glory. Because the Bible talks a lot about that. And as I studied that, you know, it's, it's interesting because you can read a definition, you can read a context for something, and then sometimes you're like, but what does that really mean? Like, have you ever read a scientific definition of something and then you're just like, that didn't help me at all. You know, like, remember when you were a kid and you learned the parts of like an atom and you're like, well, this part rotates around this part and that's what it is. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, that doesn't help. I can't see it. I can't, you know, it's just, you. I mean, I see the drawing, but I've never seen anything like that in real life. You're telling me these are microscopic things that exist everywhere. I mean, I believe you, but It doesn't always help you understand. To me, that's kind of the way God's glory is. Like, what is it? I don't know if this helps, but as I was thinking about it, 
I thought about the holidays, Christmas time, gathering with family. And I grew up, I had a great uncle. He was never married. He was a lifelong bachelor. And so he was kind of everybody's favorite uncle. You know what I mean? Because we all thought maybe we'd get in the will. But just kidding. Just kidding. But he was just, he was a great guy. And, and when I grew up, my, I would see him at family gatherings, at holidays. But my biggest interaction with him was that when I was a, a boy, late elementary school, one of the things that I started to do was go hunting with my father. That was kind of a family activity. And I have a cousin who's my age, so we both, our first year's hunting, were together. We both got new rifles. We were all excited. Neither one of us got anything that first year, but that's kind of the way it goes sometimes. And we each went with our dads, me with my dad, and my cousin with my uncle. And, and my great uncle was there. And it's probably just the imagination of my memory, but nobody's eyes sparkled brighter than my great uncle Calvin's. And maybe it's because he was always giving me a hard time. I remember the very first deer I ever shot. I don't talk about hunting very often. And so like, if you're morally opposed to that, I really am sorry. We could discuss that, but um, this was a big part of my life. It's the only illustration I could think of when it came to this. So, sorry. But I shot my first deer. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a rather small deer. That same year, my father shot the biggest buck that had ever been shot at our camp. And so both of those deers were hanging from our game pole. And I remember my Uncle Calvin came in and some guys had driven by and stopped and my uncle had talked to him and he came in and he had that twinkle that he always had in his eye and he said, man, those people were sure impressed with our game, Paul. Matter of fact, that one guy said, that's the biggest buck he's ever seen come out of this mountain. And that was the buck my dad shot. And he said, and, and he looked right at me and he said, that other guy said, that's the biggest rabbit he's ever seen. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> My uncle was always giving me a hard time like that, but he always had that twinkle in his eye because you knew he cared about you. And the essence of his personality seemed to have a physical effect. You know what I'm talking about? That person whose smile is just a little bit brighter than everybody else's because you know what a sweet person they really are. Maybe that person whose scowl is just a little bit meaner because you know how really grumpy they are on the inside. Hopefully that's not the case. In some small way, that's how I think of the glory of God. The Bible says this in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, John chapter 1, John is describing Jesus Christ, right? He begins with, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And he makes it clear he's talking about Jesus Christ the Son of God. And he refers to him here in chapter one as the Word. 
And so he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, that's interesting, isn't it? Because God is a God of truth. He, what he says is truth. His judgments are true and righteous. But he is also a God of grace. A God who loves us. Who sent his son to be the sacrifice for us. He's a God of grace and truth. And John who at the, the writing of the Gospel of John was an old man. Many, many scholars believe that probably all of the other disciples had been martyred by the time John sat down and wrote his Gospel. And so he's thinking back on his time with Jesus. And he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. We, we saw Jesus and there was something special about him. And it was like we were seeing the glory of God himself. And he describes it as being full of grace and truth. Part of the reason I think I always remember my uncle with a sparkle in his eye is because that's how I remember him giving me a hard time, maybe ribbing me, but also loving me and encouraging me and just being what an uncle should be and laughing and smiling. And so those personality characteristics came out physically. And God is a God of grace and truth. And in Jesus, we behold his glory. Glory to God in the highest. Previously, God's glory didn't reside in Jesus, but it resided first in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. See, when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, out of slavery, one of the things that God commanded Moses to do was to build a tent. They built this elaborate tent that they could break down and they would set up. And it was the, the place where the glory of God dwelt. It was called the tabernacle. And it came down as a cloud. There was, there was also a pillar of fire that was over the tabernacle at times. And so this was the dwelling place of God. And then when they settled in the promised land, of course, David, King David's desire was to build God a temple. God said, no, your son is going to do that. And so David spent his days gathering supplies and the resources to build a house for God. And Solomon did that built this great temple. And here we read about the dedication of that temple. As Solomon lay, or, yeah, he lays out a sacrifice 
And then the Bible says fire came down from heaven. It consumed the sacrifice. The glory of God filled the temple. And listen to the description of it. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. I, I just kind of spent some time thinking about that this week. Like, what does that mean when it says God's glory filled the temple and the priest couldn't enter? I'm just the type of person, I'm always like, now is that like a force field? Did it shock them? Was it like a cloud, but it had some substance and they kind of push on it, but it pushed back? I don't know. But I know God's presence was tangible in that place. His glory. The glory of the Father, full of grace and truth, filled the temple. Glory the dictionary definition is radiance, honor, fame. It's the nature and acts of God revealed in self-manifestation. God reveals his glory. God gives us images, glimpses, pictures of himself. Of course, the greatest revelation of God's glory is in his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we, that's what we celebrate at Christmas is God's gift to us in his son. But God's glory is also revealed in the father. Isaiah had a vision of God in Isaiah chapter six, beginning in verse number four. And it says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. What an image that Isaiah saw. That, that this, this, this temple was shaken as they cry out and proclaim the holiness and the glory of God Almighty. The glory of God is revealed in the Father. It's also revealed in creation. Romans 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be, may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We know that we live in a sinful and fallen world. And yet in this world, in creation, we get glimpses of God. 
I think we get glimpses of God when we see people love and sacrifice and be kind to one another in the way that God intended. Now, we see it in creation. Depending on how you're bent, my wife sees God in creation on a beach as the sun is setting. Not rising because she doesn't want to get up that early, but she sees it when the sun is setting. I see God's glory in creation in a, on a mountain, especially in the wintertime when it's cold and crisp and there's fresh fallen snow and the sun is out and the sky is blue. And I think this is what God created. This is how he intended it. And some of you see it maybe in, in, in art or a different kind of landscape. Some of you are like, I like to see it from my bed about 10 a.m. on a Saturday. Oh, that's not God's creation. That's, no, I'm just kidding. We live in a sinful world. It's not exactly as God intended it, and yet even in this fallen world, we see God's glory in his creation. But as I mentioned, God's glory is seen best in his son. Part of the gospel of Mark talks about the mountain of transfiguration. It was this time when Peter and James and John saw Jesus in his glorified, his heavenly form. And I wonder if John also remembered that day when he wrote the verse we started out with in John 1, where he said, we behold the glory, the Son and the glory of the Father. Mark chapter 9, beginning of verse number 2 says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, led them up on a high mountain apart from themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Jesus takes these three guys, they climb a mountain, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is changed as they're watching. It says, his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I just think that's an interesting phrase that Mark chose to throw in there. Like, it's more than you could bleach any clothes. Like, this was supernatural. That's what he's saying. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make these, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then it says this in verse 6, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and the voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with them, with themselves. I like what the scripture says there that Mark says, Peter didn't know what to say. That didn't stop him. I can relate to that. Some people, when they don't know what to say, don't say anything. That's probably a good idea. I don't usually follow that. When I don't know what to say, I just say whatever comes into my head. Or even if it doesn't come into my head, it just comes out my mouth. 
And then later I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. So I can relate to Peter in that way. But Peter said, it's good that we're here. And his first thought is to build tabernacles, which were places of worship. When seeing Christ in his glorified form, Peter's natural response was to worship. Even when seeing Moses and Elisha, who were only men, in their glorified form, Peter's response was to worship them. And they're just reflecting the glory of God. And so we see the revelation of God's glory. But I want us to think this morning about what that should mean for us. What does God's glory mean to us? Well, just three things this morning. Number one, we're to live our lives to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Gentiles or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, for they may be saved. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to God's glory. Now, I knew this verse was going to be in here. And sometimes God provides me illustrations that I just don't really want. Yesterday morning, the ladies had their brunch and brush event. My wife and daughter left and I was home alone. And I had a couple of things I needed to do. I had to clean up from this thing that I did and there was grease and oil everywhere and it was cold and I had the water running, my hands are cold and as I'm scrubbing, thinking about how much this stinks that I'm doing this thing, you ever had that? I thought of this verse, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and then I have a camper and the heater doesn't work on it. And so I started working on it and I don't, I won't bore you with the details, but just say it was two hours. The camper heater still does not work. I have no idea. I've eliminated a couple of things that it isn't, but I still have a really long list of what it could be. You ever been there? Little frustrated with that whole situation. In, out, blood was shed, things happened, fuses were blown. Words were not cursed because I kept thinking about this verse. My God, I would love to fix this to your glory. If, an, if you would send an angel right now that says, glory to God in the highest, what you need to do, buddy, is replace that part. That would be extremely helpful. That did not happen. Those are little things, right? That's a joke. But sometimes it is in our failures, our frustrations, where God can receive the glory depending on how we act. In the mundane, in the tasks that just have to be done, we are to do those to the glory of God. See, there's some things, when we come to church 
And the band's up here and, and we're singing Christmas carols and the auditorium is decorated. It should be, I mean, that's kind of what, part of why we do it, right? We want to create an atmosphere that's easy for us to worship God. It should be easy to give God glory and worship him in a setting like this. But what about when you're doing the mundane tasks of the week? What about when you work and work and work and you just fail? What about when you're struggling? Are we giving God the glory then? We are to live our lives to the glory of God. Whatever you do, and I love what Paul says, whether you eat or drink, just in the basic daily things that we do, are we doing them to the glory of God? Not only that, we're to love to the glory of God. Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse number nine says this, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approach the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God is glorified and praised when our love abounds more and more, grows more and more. God wants us to love him and love other people in an ever-increasing and growing way. Some of us resist that, don't we? Especially this time of year, like maybe you do some, some charitable giving or some, some, some volunteer work or whatever, and then you're like, okay, I've done enough. Like I've given enough. I've, I've served enough. I've loved enough. Now listen, maybe you've given all that you can afford to give. That's fine. Maybe you've given of your time and, and you don't have any more time to give, but we can't turn off our love for God and for others. That should be growing, abounding more and more. Paul said this brings glory and praise to God. And then finally, we're to worship to the glory of God. Given to the Lord, O you mighty ones, Psalm 29 says. Given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. No wonder the angels would sing glory to God in the highest. They had seen, the, they, they were witnesses to the glory and the majesty of God Almighty. And they recognized that God was sending his glory in the, in the form of his only begotten son to man on earth. 
and they would say glory to God in the highest. As we go about this Christmas season, let us live our lives to the glory of God. Let us love to the glory of God. And let us pray that God will give us a glimpse of his glory. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Your word that convicts us and reminds us of how we ought to live. Your word that encourages us. And your word that describes and teaches us all about you. You are a God who is worthy of our praise, our worship, of giving you glory. Your glory is in grace and in truth. And God, I pray that the way that we live, the way that we interact and show your love to others, would be a, a reflection that we would give glory and honor to you in all that we do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness to us today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.